0: chapter 5. James chapter 5, as we continue our study in the book of James, we're starting to wind down here. We're in chapter 5, and the theme of this book, we're going to talk about money today. So if you want to get up and leave now, that's this is the time to do it. No, the Bible talks about money, so I think that's what we should talk about as well. Uh, and uh, that's what uh, comes up next in our study here of James. We're going to talk about how money talks. Uh, the theme of this book is spiritual maturity. And uh, throughout this book, James gives the marks of the mature Christian. In chapter one, he talks about that a mature Christian is patient in testing. Uh, chapter two, uh, a mature Christian practices the truth. Uh, in chapter three, a mature Christian has power over his tongue. Uh, chapter four, uh, he is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. And then we come to chapter five, and we find he is prayerful in troubles Whether they be economic troubles, we'll see that in verses 1 through 9, physical troubles in verses 10 through 16, uh, national troubles in verses 17 and 18, or church troubles in verses 19 and 20. So this morning as we get back to our study here and begin chapter 5, we're going to see here uh, wealthy people using their riches for selfish purposes and even persecuting the poor. Uh, James endeavors to show the worthlessness of earthly riches when they are used for self instead of God's glory. You know, a common uh, phrase used, and we've taken our title of the message from this, money talks. Uh, Someone said, if money talks, all it says to me is goodbye. Well, uh, nevertheless, money can talk, and it does talk. And I want you to notice how it talks here to us in James chapter 5. Notice, first of all, the corruption of their riches, the corruption of their riches. And we notice here in verses one through three, it says, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Now, these verses begin here a new section, and it's indicated by the phrase, go to now, or listen now. And James wants the rich to pay close attention to what he has to say uh, in this particular section of his letter. The future is not bright for those who make money their God or misuse it. Uh, James tells him to weep and to howl for the miseries that are coming upon them. The words weep and howl mean to burst into tears and wail. Uh, they indicate a continuous agony of the heart. Uh, they were to weep and wail for the misery that was to come. Uh, the word weep means to sob out loud, and it describes the kind of weeping when, one so- uh, when someone died or when uh, someone felt an intense shame and guilt. The word howl means to shriek or to scream. And I understand that there is really no conjunction and between these two words in the Greek text. So it really means weep howling. Weep howling. Uh, James commands them to be broken about their sinfulness. The word misery means hardship or suffering or distress. James warns the wealthy of several things. James warns then that they are putting their security in uh, and, uh, and is not secure. Whatever they're doing about their security, it's really not that secure. Their riches will rot, uh, their clothes will be consumed by moths, uh, and that which is imperishable in time is worthless in eternity. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 4 says, Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. Now I want you to notice several things about this corruption. First of all, the rusting of riches. The rusting of riches. Uh, uses that uh, idea here in verse 2 or verse 3. Uh, and it talks about the rusting of riches. Uh, the wicked wealthy went from riches to rags. Uh, their gold and silver was cankered or it rusted. The word cankered uh, is from a word that which uh, it can be translated poison or venom uh, or as well as rusted. Now, you know, metal will lose its luster. I just look at your cars around here sometimes and I see they've lost some of their luster. Uh, they're starting to rust uh, because you live up here where you have a lot of salt and so forth. And so uh, metal will lose its luster. Uh, the poison of greed will eat and devour people. James says their gold and silver were cankered. That's quite a statement. Uh, let me explain. How many of you remember the periodic table in science class? Re- oh, I thought you all had that memorized. Uh, remember what a periodic table is? Uh, that's uh, the different symbols for the different chemicals and so forth. Um, does anybody know what the symbol is for gold? Well, let me help you out there. Uh, on the periodic table, it's number 79. Of course, you knew that. And uh, it's uh, the, the initials AU. Now, remember, the, uh, of course, this is a periodic table from science class. It's been a few years, perhaps. By the way, history is not the only subject I taught. I taught a little science as well. Very little, but uh, I taught some science. But the chemical symbol for gold is AU, and it can be traced back, according to some scholars, to the Latin word aurora, A-U-R-O-R-A, or a Hebrew word for light, A-O-R. Unfortunately, gold tends to blind men, and leave them in spiritual darkness. And this is the aspect of history that I taught when we talked about the gold rush uh, back in the 1800s in California. Uh, so you know, see how the science and the and the history, they kind of blend together sometimes. But when gold was is, is used as a tool, and it's used by godly people, it can spread light of the gospel, the light of the gospel across the world. And gold is praised for its unique qualities that cannot be replicated. Notice a few of them. Gold is nature's perfect shield against radiation. Uh, that's why the space capsule that took Neil Armstrong to the moon was coated with gold. Uh, gold is an excellent reflector. Uh, it holds in heat in the winter months, and it it shuts out heat in the summertime. That's why you should you know you should put gold all around your houses. Uh, You'd have much warmer house and much cooler house. So, uh, that's one of the things that qualities it has. It's an excellent conductor of electricity. All the wiring in your house should be gold. Um, uh, gold is virtually non-destructible and it's everlasting. Uh, it's praised for being non-corrosive and, uh, being rust-proof. That's why you should drive a gold car. I don't know why some of you aren't driving a gold car. Well, uh, (coughs) If it's not adequately refined though, or if it's subject to p- chemical pollution, some metals in gold object, uh, in a gold object, uh, could be subject to oxidation. So what it is, what is it that is being said here in James about gold being cankered and rusty? If it's such a high quality metal, why is he talking about it being cankered and rusty? Well, gold coins in the Bible days were not pure gold. Many of the gold coins are like our coins today; they're not just pure silver, or they're probably not much silver in them at all anymore. Uh, but uh, gold coins that were supposed to be gold uh, were not uh, not always pure; they contained alloys. Uh, that would rust under uh, conducive uh, and corrosive circumstances. Uh, the fact that gold and silver of the wealthy was turning to rust indicates poor refinement and the quality of their gold and possibly the fact that they were trying to actually cheat people by mixing in some gold with the other elements. And so the rust on gold would be a witness against them. And that's what James is pointing out. It would prove their dishonesty. You see, money talks. In this case, it was the gold that did the talking. When James says the gold and silver were cankered, he also may have been figuratively referring to the fact of the day of judgment. Their money would be useless. Proverbs 11 and verse 4 again. Riches profit not in the day of wrath but righteousness delivereth from death. And so we notice here the uh, the rusting of riches. Secondly, we notice the hoarding of riches. The wealthy wicked were also hoarding their wealth for evil and selfish purposes. Uh, there's nothing wrong with saving money. Uh someone, one of the little girls came up to me this morning and showed me her money. I think it was for the offering. And uh, she said, I have a bank. I have a piggy bank. I said, that's great. You're saving some money. You know, there's nothing wrong with with saving money. The problem is, uh, the problem that developed among these people was that money had basically become their God. Their trust, their dependence were not in the Lord but in their money or in their, even their savings account. If your trust is in your savings account or your 401k or whatever way of, of saving money you have, it can all be taken away in a moment's of time. They believe that mere material things would satisfy them. But that's fantasy. That's not reality. The fact that it rusted indicates it was not being used. Perhaps it was being buried. That was a common practice in that day to safeguard their wealth. Maybe you've got your uh, savings in a big hole in in the ground in your backyard. I don't know. It's going to be corrupted then when you dig it out. But if there's one message that comes to us in maybe 10,000 seductive voices, it's the message of our own country and our own century that life does consist of things, doesn't it? You can see it on hundreds of billboards as you drive down the highway. It's the message from the sponsors on television. Uh, it's sung to you in jingles on the radio. It's blared at you in four-color ads in the newspaper. And so we're like the donkey that has the carrot extended be- uh, before it on a stick. And the donkey sees the carrot and he wants it. And so the donkey moves toward it. But you know what? The carrot moves too. And the carrot is always there, promising to fill the appetite. But it what it promises, it does not deliver. And God warns us in His Word, about having a coveting spirit. Colossians 3 and verse 5, uh, it says there that uh, you are to mortify your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Luke chapter 12, verse 15 says, And he said unto them, Take heed, and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. So is he that tre- layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. I read a saying uh, one time, it said this, The most important things in life aren't things. Now, if we could just get a hold of that and realize that, uh, maybe we'd stop accumulating so many things, Right? Well, then you've done done stopped preaching and gone to meddling, right? We have too many things? How many, you know, maybe I hit a sore spot there. You have too many things? Life doesn't consist of just things. There's much more to life than that. The hoarding of riches. Well, let's go on. The warning. The warning of riches. The wealthy wicked were also hoarding uh, their wealth. Now there's a warning here that we're not to make money, our master, for it's going to leave us broken and empty. He rebukes those who claim to worship him, but instead they worship money. Again, in the book of Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, in verse chapter 16, verse 13, it says, No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 uh, says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, what we keep, we can lose. That which we give to the Lord, we keep, and he adds more to it. I heard of one preacher, he was known for his long messages, and uh, he was asked to give the annual charity sermon for those who were poor. And it was suggested if he preached too long, the congregation might not give as much. Well, the preacher read the text, and it was from Proverbs 19 and verse 17. It said, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he repay, will pay him again. Well, his message was very brief. And the preacher said, If you like the terms, then put down your money. And he said, Money talks. What will it say to you when you stand before Christ. A man lost his way in the desert and was in danger of dying from hunger. At at last, he found one of the cisterns out of which the camels would drink. And there was a little leather bag near it. And he said, praise the Lord. He said, looking at the leather bag, he says, here are some dates and some nuts, some food. I'm sure it'll, it'll refresh me. And he opened the bag only to find disappointment. The bag was filled with beautiful pearls. But what good is money when a man's dying of hunger? What good is he out in the desert with a bag of beautiful pearls? Was a man rich or was he poor? Well, he was rich, but he was also poor. His riches were corrupted, even as James states here in verse 2. They were worthless. Listen, don't waste your wealth. Use it for the glory of God. Don't let your riches destroy you. So we notice here, first of all, the corruption of their riches. Secondly, the cry of the workers. Here in verse 4, we notice it says, Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. The unpaid wages of the laborers is crying out against the rich. Uh thank you, Shane, for crying out like that. That kind of illustrates my point. But uh, uh they kept back. Uh uh they would not pay their wages. Uh Jeremiah warned of this kind of behavior. Uh Jeremiah twenty-two, verse thirteen Woe unto them that buildeth his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by wrong, that useth his neighbor's service without wages and giveth him not for his work. Leviticus 19 and verse 13, "'Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, "'neither rob him. "'The wages of him that is hired "'shall not abide with thee all night until the morning.'" Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 14 through 15 says, "'Thou shalt not oppress an hired servant "'that is poor and needy, "'whether he be of thy brethren "'or of thy strangers that are in thy land, "'within thy gates.'" At this day thou shalt give him his hire, neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be sin unto thee. You see, James is warning here of the illegal wealth that comes from stealing, from fraud, from deception. God's people are to be faithful in paying their debts. There's always a need for honesty. Honesty's not the best policy. It's the only policy. And the word "crieth" means to shriek to God for vengeance. The cries of the wages of the cheated harvesters would reach the Lord. You see, money talks. Our vices have voices. Cain found this out when he murdered Abel. Abel's blood cried out to the Lord, it tells us in the scripture. In Proverbs 13, 11, it says, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. And then in Malachi 3, verses 7 through 10, it says, Even from the days of your father ye are gone out from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But he said, Wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings? Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation? Bring ye all the tithes in the storehouse, and there shall be, that there shall be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, and there shall not be room enough to receive it. What a wonderful passage. We find here the corruption of their riches, the cry of the workers, and then the carnality of the rich. We notice this in verse 5. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton, ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. These folks were living in luxury and self-indulgence. Their lives were soft and carefree. They nourished or they fattened their hearts by indulging in every desire of their hearts. They lived in utter pleasure, giving or fattening their heart with every desire that they had. This word pleasure uh, is from a word that means to break down. Soft living was a tendency to destroy and break down the character of people. They had been wanton. It's not a word we use very often anymore. Wanton is a very strong word, though. It means to live in lewdness and fleshliness and sensualness. Now, I know this is a bit disgusting, but it's an illustration, I believe, about what we're talking about. In the palace of Nero in Rome, not far from the Colosseum, where the Christian martyrs were tortured and killed, There was a dining room that had something like a well in the middle of it. What would the well be for? Or the hole in the ground? Right in the middle of the dining room. Nero and his guest used to eat so much, they couldn't hold any more food. So they'd go to this hole in the midst of the room, and they'd vomit out their food, and then they'd go back to eating again. I know, it's disgusting, right? But that's what Nero was. He was a wicked man. He had a a, a wicked uh, uh, place. He was a man who lived like a pig. Many today, especially young people, do not know how to work because they've never been taught or expected to work. Much of what they have has been handed down to them. Uh, when young people have nothing to do but and occupy their time, they indulge in what couldn't be destructive. Uh, they desire to satisfy their curiosity and their desires for sex and drugs and alcohol. Every so often you'll hear a story on, a, on the news about some young person who dies from excessive consumption of, uh, excessive consumption of alcohol. Solomon had, Solomon had everything he wanted, but he spoke of the emptiness and the futility of self-indulgence because selfishness leads to self-destruction. Now, on the other hand, there is really nothing wrong with being wealthy or having nice things. I think the Bible's clear about that. God is the one who blesses us with wealth. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. And he may establish his covenant where he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. Proverbs 10 and verse 22 says, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and it addeth no sorrow with it. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17 says, Charge them that are rich in the world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. You remember Abraham, he was a very wealthy man, and yet he controlled his wealth. His wealth did not control him. He maintained his faith and his character. On the other hand, he had a nephew by the name of Lot, Lot was governed by his greed. He it ruined him and it ruined his family. It's good to have riches in your hand as long as you uh, they do not get into your heart. Psalm sixty-two verse ten: Trust not in oppression, and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Proverbs twenty-two one: A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. You know, when wealth destroys your character, the lives of others, and corrupts your relationship with God, then you have a problem. And there are a few things that will test a man's spiritual condition uh, more accurately than how he uses his money. Many will waste their lives today on the pursuit of unimportant things. God wants us to use our funds to care for our families, to win the loss, to care for those in need, and to support the ministry of a Bible-believing church. When we have the wrong priorities with our money, we tend to nourish our hearts as in the day of slaughter. There was a boy that managed to make pigs follow him faithfully uh, to the slaughterhouse, and he was asked how he did it. He said, well, that's easy. I just walk before them and give them what they want. And I lead them to the slaughter. And that's what Satan does. He baits us with our lustful desires, and he leads us along until we're trapped. And then finally, notice the condemnation of the just. This is verse 6. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Money can distort the reasoning of a person. It can make people think good of that which is bad, and bad of that which is good. James says, you have condemned and killed the just, even though they don't resist you. The wealthy were condemning or passing a sentence upon the righteous. They were using the courts to judicially murder some of the abused poor who were just or righteous. Uh, These folks committed themselves to the Lord, and they put themselves in God's care as Jesus taught. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, he says, But I say unto you that ye... Resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn him to the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and him that will borrow of thee, turn not away." And then 1 Peter 2, verse 23 says, Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You know, money talks. What does it say to you this morning? Someone said money in some respects is like fire. It's an excellent servant, but a terrible master. You know, our memory verses for this week in our memory journal are what? Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 and 4. We're not to have any other gods before us. And yet some, even Christians, have the God of money before them. I wonder, is money an idol to you? Uh, Is it a God that you're worshiping? And what is your relationship with God? What is it that you're living for? Are you living for the riches? Are you living for success? Well, those things can be good, and they can be very bad. They can be used for the glory of God. Uh, Someone put it this way. uh, I found this a number of different ways. But money can buy a house or a home, a house but not a home. It can buy a bed but not sleep. It can buy a clock, but not time. It can buy a book, but not knowledge. It can buy food, but not an appetite. It can buy friends, but it cannot buy love. You know, one thing for sure this morning is that money cannot buy your salvation. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, no amount of money will ever get you to heaven. No amount of money will forgive your sins. Only Jesus Christ and a relationship with him can give you true salvation. And I trust that as we think about these things, that we really examine our hearts and say, what am I living for? Am I just living for the paychecks? Am I just living for what I can accumulate? Am I just living for this life or am I living for eternity? May God help us as we meditate and think about these things from James chapter 5. Let's bow in prayer.